You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. On kind of this a whole month of October, we've been looking um, at a series of issues that have been raised uh, in the book uh, by Jonathan Kahn. He's a rabbi, a Christian pastor, author, teacher, uh, and written a book called The Return of the Gods. And all four of the past messages uh, are online on our website. You can listen to any of those that you've missed. You can re-listen to any of those that you feel you need to hear uh, again. I know many of you have gotten or are getting uh, the book, again, which I said is great because there's a lot in the book I won't be able to cover. Plus, there's a lot that I've talked about that's not uh, in the book uh, as well. So, if you want to uh, grab that book, it, it's, again, it's a great investment of both your money and your time. I believe the one thing that we really kind of have been able to establish throughout this series is that there are demonic spirits and entities that were able to convince and to influence the nation of Israel to go from worshiping and serving the one true God to eventually, gradually, slowly turning toward uh, other gods. And those other gods turned out uh, to be demonic spirits. And we've kind of talked about how those same demonic uh, spirits that infiltrated, influenced the nation of Israel are also those same spirits that have infiltrated and influenced um, America. We've looked at three of those main uh, demon, those demonic spirits, those entities. We've looked at the main three in this series. Uh, Rabbi Khan calls them the dark trinity. So we've looked at Baal is the first, Ashtaroth is the second, uh, and the third one is uh, Molech, and we see these as the three main demonic spirits that are responsible. They're the ones that are actively uh, working uh, here in America. We see the evidence of that through societal uh, that's happening all around us. It's been happening for decades. But what we're seeing right now is really kind of, of an acceleration both in, in speed and in the depth of, of what we're witnessing as the demonic activity continues uh, to reveal itself here in America. Again, we saw this happen you know, gradually there in the beginning of the 1960s. I told you I was born in 1961. I've kind of watched this all happen kind of in the span of my lifetime. And again, it, it began there in the early 1960s when the Supreme Court came out in 1961, 1962, with the Supreme Court decisions that said, you cannot pray, you cannot read the scriptures, you cannot recite the Lord's Prayer in public school. We looked at that as, as you know, one of the ways Baal worked in the nation of Israel was by slowly, gradually, eventually leading and separating the people of God from the Word of God. The same thing happened there in those Supreme Court decisions. It opened the door. It began to separate the people of God from the word of God. And they started in the youngest generation so that we begin to raise them up, separating them from the word of God. We looked at this also uh, through the demonic spirit Ashtaroth, which kind of came on the heels of Baal. Remember, Baal's the first uh, one. He goes, gets seven other wicked, um, more wicked than himself. Ashtaroth comes in. Uh, we kind of see her beginning uh, to move through the sexual perversions that we saw. We, we see that in the sexual revolution, the sexual, revol uh, the sexual liberation of the late 1960s into the early 1970s. And then we also uh, looked at the third member of the Trinity there, uh, and that is um, uh, the entity Molech. Um, and also we saw that... Um, we saw where Molech kind of comes in as the destroyer. Uh, we looked at that through the lens of the Supreme Court decision in 1973 uh, with the uh, Roe v. Wade. That was the ultimate destruction. We talked about parents, moms and dads that are offering their children up as sacrifices. And again, we see that um, through uh, the the uh, worship of Molech. Um, what's interesting uh, to me is that um, 
one of the things we see kind of with Ashtaroth at work in our current American culture um, is through the ways of what we would see as very cheap, you know, easily accessible and highly addictive drugs. Uh, it's very interesting to me. I ran across this um, this 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 statistic uh, here a couple of days ago, and I want I, I didn't have time to get this on the overhead, but I want you to listen because I think you can you can take this in pretty easily. In the last 56 days, so we would say over the course of the last two months, in the past 56 days, 8,624 Americans have died from fentanyl overdose. Now, I just want that number to just kind of sink in on you. In the past 56 days, in the last less than two months, 8,624 Americans have died from fentanyl poisoning. Now, I want you to, to take that and I want you to kind of link that to mass shootings, okay? A mass shooting in, in our country is defined as four or more people uh, who are shot or killed um, in, in a mass shooting. Now, if you take that statistic and you apply that to the fentanyl uh, overdose deaths, that comes out to 2,156 mass shootings. That's the equivalent of what we're doing in our country with just one drug, fentanyl. And, and again, this is one of the ways that you'll often kind of see that, that overlapping. So Ashtaroth, not only is she, you know, over sexual perversion, we see that she is over prostitution, we see that she is over sorcery. One of the ways that she uh, uses sorcery, again, is through intoxication, it's through uh, drug use, um, it is through, you know, the uh, ever-growing, ever-present streams of pornography, prostitution. Again, she often will, will kind of take the form, the nature, the function of a prostitute. So we see that in, in the prostitution. Uh, we see her fingerprints in adultery, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, homo, uh, the pedophilia, just to name a few of the sexual sins that she traps in, okay? What is amazing to me is all of this is being normalized and offered up to children, often with the consent and the approval of their parents. So I read an article this past week about a Hollywood actor uh, by the name of uh, Matthew Perry. A lot of you probably would know him if you grew up watching the sitcom Friends. Recently, he wrote a book, and among other topics, he talked about his addiction to alcohol and drugs. And in this book, he talks about, now, now get this, he spent between nine and $10 million trying to get clean and sober. Nine to $10 million dollars he spent trying to get clean and sober. He said at the age of 50, which he currently is, he said he has spent half of his adult life um, in, in treatment uh, or alcohol treatment sobriety living centers. And looking back on all of it, this is what he had to say. He said, there is a hell. Don't let anyone tell you different I've been there, it exists, end of discussion. And again, I, I've talked about in, in, the, in the series about how drugs and alcohol, it can be an open door. It, it can be what we open. It's, it, using drugs and alcohol can be an open door to the demonic to begin to come in, to infiltrate, and to influence our thoughts and our actions. Uh, and I, I think that this is what he's testifying to. He opened the door, and it really kind of took him to hell. And the thing to me is, is if we can, if we can believe that people go to heaven have seen heaven and can come back and tell us about that. I also believe that people can see hell. I think that they can, they can you know, have uh, experiences of that, be able to come back and to tell us um, about that. I love what Christian author Jesse Duplantis once said. He said, sin will always take you further than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. 
Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. I think you could substitute the name Ashtaroth there uh, with the word sin in that statement. And again, it would be a very, very perfect description of how she works in every culture uh, she is active in. Again, last week, uh, we looked at the third member of the Dark Trinity, again, the destroyer uh, known as Molech. And again, we often can kind of see how these roles with these three demonic entities, this dark trinity, oftentimes you'll kind of see them overlapping uh, one another. You can see how, you know, Ashtaroth, you know, can, can use her powers of deception, of sorcery, and she can uh, trick people into thinking, you know, um, I'm a man, you know, trapped in a woman's body, or I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And so she kind of begins this gender dysphoria, this, this gender confusion. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, um, Molech comes in, the destroyer, and he kind of begins to, to pick up where she's working, and again, begin to get people to to mutilate, to destroy their bodies through, you know, cutting off certain parts of their, uh, their sexual organs. Um, and so again, you kind of see where there's this overlap. You'll kind of see uh, Baal kind of working through, again, the monetary system where, you know, hospitals and doctors and clinics all have a financial gain, a financial benefit of providing these opportunities um, for people to go in and to have their uh, their genders altered. So again, there's, there's oftentimes you will find an overlap of the demonic entities working. So now that we know that they're here, they're active, they're very visible, we cannot deny their power, their presence in our influence, the question now becomes, how do we cast them out? How do we go about demolishing and dismantling their presence and their influence in America? Well, the answer is simple. We do it the same way Jesus did. We do it the same way the early New Testament church did. They did that through the preaching, the teaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only solution to false gods is the true God of the Bible. The only solution to the name of Baal, Ashtaroth, and Molech is the name of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul states in Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse nine, he says, therefore God existed, or God elevated Christ, Jesus, to the place of highest honor, and gave to him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And again, that's the reference to hell there. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So that is done to bring glory to God the Father. When we proclaim the name of Jesus, when we're preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said that is the power of God unto salvation. And the name of Jesus, again, it is a name that has been elevated above every other name, and that includes any and all of demonic demons um, they are subject and obedient to that name of Jesus. As I stated at the beginning of the series, we've got to make sure that we remember and keep in focus Paul's words in Ephesians 6.12. And, and this is such a powerful reminder for us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As we see all of the troubling events that are unfolding, not just in America, but around the world, it is so easy to blame the people or categories of people, uh, especially towards those we strongly disagree with. 
Our tendency, again, as, as human beings, uh, again, is to wrestle, it is to contend with, it is to do battle with flesh and blood, with the human beings that we believe are responsible for whatever happens, because again, that's the easiest, because it's what we see in the natural. What we don't see, what we may not be fully aware of, and what we need to be battling against is what we don't see, what we can't always perceive with our natural eyes, and that is what Paul says are those principalities. It's, it's against demonic powers, against the unseen rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are the ones that are actually uh, acting, speaking, and manifesting through human beings. Now, our tendency as Christians is to look what is happening in the world and the way that these demons are kind of manifesting in our culture, and we want to say, oh, that's Biden's fault. Oh, that's Trump's fault. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's the conservatives. It's the liberals. It's white people. It's black people. It's not. Paul says it's none of that. We do not wrestle against those things. Those are flesh and blood. We need to get our eyes off of those and we need to get our eyes set on the true target. Again, we pray for those people. We pray for those human beings who are, who are under the influence and the power of demonic spirits. We pray for those people that are being used to implement plans of evil we witness to them concerning the truth of God's word, his plan and purpose for their lives, but we've got to stay focused that our real, true enemy is the devil and his demons, not flesh and blood. And we, we, we need to remind ourselves of that constantly. Second thing we need to keep in mind when we're dealing with the demonic realm is something that we've stated throughout the series. The preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ resulted in and will continue to result in the greatest ongoing mass exorcism in world history. We need to know and we need to be committed to that whenever and wherever the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being preached, it will result in part in the toppling and the defeat of every demonic stronghold it encounters. And again, the one thing that is so easy to forget and to lose sight of is that the, when these two worlds collide, when, when the preaching of the, the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the demonic realm, when they collide, oftentimes there is going to be intense conflict, okay? You can count on it. You, can, you should anticipate it. You should be prepared for it. Again, not always, but often it is the case. This in part is why I believe we as believers tend to shy away from confronting demons. We don't want, we don't like the intense conflict that comes with it. We want to follow the path of least resistance. We want maximized results with minimal effort. Again, that's just part of our human nature. That's just part of our, our makeup, okay? But this is what we call warfare. And, and we've got to be prepared for it. We've got to anticipate, we've got to expect it's gonna come when, when those two worlds collide. So with the remaining time I've got left this morning, I wanna look at just one example of how the early church kind of uh, confronted the demonic realm. Now again, what, what they have in common with us is that there were many places uh, in the New Testament uh, um, church where the, the church was, was birthed, the church began to rise up in the midst of just a pervasive pagan culture. And you'll kind of get the gist of this as we get into uh, this one particular story. Now again, this is not the only example. It's not the only story. There are multiple stories I could, I could take and, and use in, in this example. But, so I'm just going to give you one of many that exist 
referenced uh, in the New Testament. And I want to be able to kind of look at what was happening there. What can we learn from that? And then how do we begin to apply that in our culture? So let's first look at... uh, Acts 19, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there to Acts 19. Otherwise, you can just follow with me there on the screen. I want to begin in verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and he meekly preached. No, he, he boldly preached. Okay, there, there are times where, where you're going to confront the demonic and you just got to be bold. You just got to be courageous. You, you just got to bring it. Okay, so Paul's bringing it there in the synagogue. And it says that he preached boldly for three minutes. Three days. That's what we want, right? We're, we're the generation, we're the culture of instant gratification. I want to go out, I want to preach the gospel for two minutes, and I, I just, I want all of heaven and earth to move. Paul didn't have that attitude. Paul didn't have that expectation. I'm sure Paul wished it would have happened that way. It didn't. For the next three months, Paul argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. But again, as those two worlds collide, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the demonic realm, as that collides, it says some people became stubborn, rejecting his message, publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue, took his believers with him, then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And this went on for the next two weeks. Next two months. Two years. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greek, heard the word of the Lord. Now let me just point out a few things uh, here. First you'll come across this phrase, the way. You'll hear this again uh, in a few moments. You'll find that phrase, the way, uh, throughout places in the New Testament. It simply refers to those who followed the way of Christ. So when, when they talk about the way, they're identifying people who followed the way of Christ, okay? So it not only implies, as Paul teaching on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he's also teaching and he's preaching on how to become a devoted follower, a committed disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not just interested in getting them saved, Paul's also interested in discipling them how to live out the Christian life. This should always be a part of the church's purpose and mission is making um, followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Now secondly, Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And he starts off preaching in the synagogue. And the Bible says he does this for three months. And then the opposition becomes so great that he takes the believers, leaves the synagogue, and he, he holds daily discussions at the lecture hall in Tyrannius. And he does this for the next two years. So here you have Paul. He's preaching, teaching in the city of Ephesus for three months. Again, let that sink in. Two years and three months of Paul's teaching, preaching daily, pervasively. You know, he's, he's bringing the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? He's not giving up. I want you to look at, I want you to see this as a level of Paul's commitment to what he felt called to do. He does get pushed back, but he never quits. He never gives up. He doesn't preach for a couple of days, sees no results, and then just kind of, you know, says, forget it. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're not going to respond. No, he stays at it for two years and three months. Again, part of the problem in the church today, we give up too quickly, Things get tough, we get pushback, persecution, someone calls us a Bible thumper, we melt and we're gone. We'll be committed for a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, and then it starts to waver. 
That wasn't Paul's level of dedication. There are times when God moves quickly and praise God for those. But there are also times where things just move slowly, gradually. And either way, we've got to be committed to the message and the mission of Christ no matter what. And just like Paul, you're always going to have some people who respond favorably. Okay? Some that are going to respond quickly to the message of Christ and those who just flat out reject it. And again, we've got to be careful that we don't take that personally. That that becomes a rejection of us. Again, which is easy to do. It's not a rejection of us. It's a rejection of Christ. The devil will want to make it about you to try to get you defeated, to try to get you deflated, to try to get you to shut up and go away. But you need to understand, when you're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a rejection of you. It's a rejection of him. It's a rejection of his message. The other thing that's easy to overlook is when Paul moved from the synagogue to the lecture halls of Tyrannius, the only time, this is uh, the only time where that lecture hall would have been available was between the hours of 11 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. Because in the city of Ephesus, that is when the activity in the city of Ephesus would cease during those five hours because of the heat of the day. It would become intensely hot that the lecture hall people would just not want to be there because it's too hot. And so it would just be empty from 11 to 4. Paul, who was a tent maker, Paul would start work very, very early uh, in the morning. And Paul would, would stop working at 11. He'd pick it up again after four. And then Paul would use that five-hour block. He took advantage of what was available. And he would go into the lecture hall. And he would begin to hold daily discussions, teaching and preaching on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this speaks to the level of Paul's commitment. He never let an opportunity go by. For a lot of Christians, the slightest inconvenience, and we're out of here. Not Paul. Paul was committed to persevere despite any and all conditions, whether it was opposition, unfavorable weather, or his, or his trade as a tent maker. Paul used every opportunity he had available to him to proclaim the message of Christ. He never let anything get in the way of his mission to advance the kingdom of God. And then you get the sense that the people there in Ephesus uh, were responding to the, to the message of Paul. You know, again, he, he's been there, uh, you know, two years, three months. Nowhere do you ever read of just a surge of people, but rather you kind of get this sense that people kind of became believers gradually, slowly, eventually. Again, as Paul just continued to, to proclaim the gospel as he was there on a daily basis. And you look at what it says there in Acts 19, verse 18. Many who, who became believers confessed their sinful practices. That's called repentance. Repentance is a good word. It's a good word because it's a manifestation of God's kindness. So it said many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery. Who is the author of sorcery? Ashtaroth, okay? So... They're, they're seeing their, their sin. Uh, those who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Again, when you just stay at it, when, when you, you, you don't give up, when you, when you just stay at it, you know, regardless of what comes against you, if you stay at it, there will come a place and a point where the word of God will begin to have a very powerful effect. And again, this was the results of two years and three months work. And again, it gives you a glimpse into the demonic stronghold that was over the city of Ephesus. The demonic realm can be powerful, it can be very influential, but when it comes up against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel will always have more power and influence than any other message or person. Let's jump down to verse 23. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. There's that phrase again. 
It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. Now let's just stop there for a second. So this Greek goddess Artemis was probably the most worshipped deity in Asia and perhaps the world at that time during Paul's uh, ministry. And the worship rituals surrounding Artemis, they were extremely sexual um, and they were often perverse. Ephesus was kind of the main hub. It was the central place uh, for Artemis worship. And these silver statues were being manufactured and they're being sold as a part of the rituals uh, and worship of Artemis. And the people could buy these and then they could take them, put them in their homes, their places uh, of business um, as a part of their daily worship of Artemis. Now, the demonic practice of, of making these, of manufacturing these statues, it brought tremendous wealth uh, to the citizens and the region of Ephesus, so much so that the temple of Artemis became the world's largest bank at that time. And people literally came from all over the world uh, to worship and to celebrate during Artemis' festivals. And there would just be these huge processionals and parades honoring and invoking her statue. So again, you, you can kind of begin to understand and appreciate how important this trade of making and manufacturing these silver statues of Artemis would be. Now, if you've never seen a statue of Artemis, you can, you can Google that. There are, are uh, pictures, uh, there are uh, uh, artifacts that have been unearthed and found to kind of depict uh, what the statue would look like. But if you were to see a statue of Artemis, it would be covered with many breasts. And again, that would be a representation and a promise of uh, her uh, potential of fertility in your life. The main Artemis statue in the temple was reportedly made of black meteorite because the Ephesians uh, believed that she fell, she came to them from heaven, as you'll see as we read on. Artemis uh, promised, she pledged to those who worshiped her, not just the promise of fertility, um, she also promised them long life, sexual fulfillment, protection during pregnancy and childbirth, as well as sexual orgies as a part of uh, the worship rituals. So the worship of Artemis had this very, very powerful influence and it, it had many of the, the people in Ephesus and the surrounding regions in a very, very powerful grip. And it was also a great source of wealth for the people and the businesses of Ephesus, something they were not going to allow uh, to be interfered with or interrupted. Verse 25 continues. He, Demetrius, called them together. Again, these are the tradesmen, along with others employed in similar trades, and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth, and again, this is the, the priority, this is what's important to them, our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded over the course of these two years and three months, Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. What did they believe? They believed that these handmade gods were indeed gods. What was Paul's message? Paul's message, these handmade gods, they're not gods at all. If you want to worship God, if you're looking for long life, if you're looking for protection, if you're looking for prosperity, you need to be worshiping the true God of the Bible. So he pretty much says, this is what we believe. We believe that these these gods these statues were making they are truly gods Paul came and opposed that and he said and he's done this not only here in Ephesus but he's done this throughout the entire province 
Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. He says, I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the province of Asia. And again, it gives you a sense of how prominent this was, how widespread this worship of Artemis was. This wasn't just the city of Ephesus. I mean, this spread uh, throughout a very wide region and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige. So again, Demetrius, he's acknowledging that the preaching and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is having a powerful effect. And he said it's direct, not just directly affecting our business and our wealth, but it is affecting the very temple of Artemis itself. Because as the people became Christians, they no longer needed any of the relics or the rituals associated with Artemis. These businesses are being hit in the pocketbook, okay? Future revenues are being threatened and they don't like it. And again, that's why, that's why Dale always kind of trafficked in the area of money and wealth because money is always a very powerful motivator both for good and evil. Now, verse 28 continues. At this, their anger, and again, the tradesmen's anger boiled, and they began shouting, great is uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon, the whole city was filled with confusion. Now, again, that's, that will always tell you uh, where the demonic is. The demonic always traffics in confusion. Where you find confusion you'll often find a, a, a demonic entity at work there. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging two of Paul's associates with them from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing, some another. That was the degree of confusion. He says, just everything was in confusion. In fact, now get this, most of them didn't even know why they were there. That, that's, oftentimes you find that, don't you? I mean, I, I love sometimes when I watch these um, people that kind of will go up into a crowd that's protesting, and they'll kind of, you know, they're doing those man-on-the-street uh, interviews, and they'll ask people, what are you here for? I don't know. I, I just heard people yelling and screaming, and I just decided to come over and yell and scream with them. You know, so again, it, it, they don't even know why they're there. And you see that happening a lot in uh, protests uh, going on in our country. It says, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak, but when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now again, let that sink in. For two hours, they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. To me, this kind of, again, depicts a level of their commitment to what they believed and what they were willing to go to to stand up for that belief. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we need to go out and we need to be shouting, you know, Jesus is Lord uh, for two hours. Uh, but I mean, if we needed to, could you, would you? Do we bring that level of, of commitment? Do we bring that level of intensity to what we believe? What are we willing to do for the cause of Christ? What are you willing to do to see people set free from demonic strongholds and come to Christ? Also, imagine how overwhelming, perhaps frightening, threatening this would have felt if you were some of the people that, you know, of Paul's disciples, Paul's followers, Christians that were in the midst of that crowd. I've never been in a situation that would ever come close to something like that. But just imagine what you might be feeling and thinking and experiencing in the midst of that angry, confused mob and how tempting it might just be to back down, apologize, you know, acquiesce and just kind of walk away. 
Verse 35 continues, at last the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis. Again, here's what he says, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. Isn't that kind of almost a common tactic we see being taken in our culture today? Present a false or questionable statement as an undeniable fact. Man-made global warming, climate change, it's an undeniable fact. And we need to ban all fossil fuels. We need to all be driving electric cars. And if you believe anything, you're just a Neanderthal. We're going to cancel you. Men can get pregnant and have babies. It's an undeniable fact. And if you believe anything different, you're transphobic. And we're gonna censor you and we're gonna try to get you fired from your job because it's an undeniable fact. The vaccine is safe and effective. And if you put anything out there, we're gonna censor you. Of course, they've proven now that it's not safe or effective. Said, oh, it's effective. You, you won't get COVID. You can't spread COVID. Now we find out people who are vaccinated both get it and spread it. So again, oftentimes people kind of come and they want to present an opinion, a point of view, and then they'll just add on to that. It's an undeniable fact. It's undisputed. Continuing in verse 37. You've brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple They've not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session, the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there's complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm not afraid we are in danger of being charged. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government. Since there is no cause for all this commotion, and if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. Let me again restate my whole point as we close. Again, it is important to remember, to kind of expect that whenever these two worlds collide, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it's being boldly preached, when it is being just effectively proclaimed, when you are teaching and preaching on the kingdom of God, whenever these two worlds collide, the gospel and the demonic realm, it will often result in intense conflict. Not always, okay, but more often than not. Now, I chosenly intentionally chose a story that didn't involve as intense a persecution or suffering as some of the other stories uh, in Acts do. There were times in the book of Acts, and many of you know this if you've read it, there were times where believers, followers of Christ were beaten, they were flogged, they were stoned, they were jailed. So there is a myriad of reactions that can and do occur when these two worlds collide. But just like those disciples of Jesus there in the book of Acts, we must be prepared for the pushback. And if it doesn't happen, hey, rejoice. <laughs> Give thanks to God. But in most cases, especially where you have a place like Ephesus, where that demonic stronghold is very strong and well-established, there will most likely be a very strong response and reaction to the message of the gospel. Again, both positively and negatively. Any honest reading of the New Testament will testify to that fact. Now again, you know, we love the positive responses. We love the quick decisions um, that people make when we're preaching and teaching the gospel. But we also just give up sometimes too easily, too quickly at the first sign of pushback, persecution, or suffering. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he said, God blesses. God blesses 
those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. God blesses us when that happens. Be happy about it. The Bible, other translations say rejoice. Be very glad. Why? He says, because there is a great reward awaiting you in heaven. It may be difficult here now when that persecution, that suffering, when that comes against you, when people are mocking you and saying all sorts of evil things about you, spitting on you, kicking you, punching you, hitting you, however that manifests, that is temporary and he says just be glad rejoice because there is a reward that is coming it awaits you in heaven and then he says and remember don't lose sight of this the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way again all of this sounds great wonderful doable as we sit here in the safety of our church, in our padded seats. But if we're truly gonna bring light to darkness, if we're truly gonna bring the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the dark places of this world, we need to anticipate, we need to be prepared, and we need to factor in that the dark forces behind this wickedness, they're not gonna take it lightly and there will be pushback. As we move forward as followers of Christ, we must continue to speak the truth in love. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. But we also need to be clear of who the real enemy is. And again, it's not flesh and blood. That we need not be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as Paul said, it is the power. It's the dynamite of God for salvation. We just anticipate and we need to be prepared for the spiritual warfare that may come when these two worlds collide. And it will come. And I believe that this will intensify uh, after the elections. Whatever way it goes, I believe that one way or the other, this spiritual warfare is gonna intensify. So I think we need to be prepared, we need to be prayed up, I think we need to be uh, in the word, uh, and, and we just need to be ready uh, for the spiritual warfare um, that is coming. And again, we're, we're not on our own in this. Uh, greater is he that is in us than anyone, anything in the world. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, again, we just thank you for, again, your word, Lord. We thank you for the examples that we see, not just in this one story in Acts 19, but really throughout the book of Acts, throughout the early church, Father. We, we see people who, who suffered, who were persecuted, who were martyred for their faith. And Father, how none of that was ever wasted with you. God, you used the blood of the martyrs, Father, for revival in the church. The more that they did to persecute the Christians, the greater, the stronger, the more powerful the word of God became. So Father, we thank you, Lord, that whenever these two worlds collide, no matter how intense that may be, we thank you, Father, that the ultimate victory is ours because Jesus has won the battle through his death, his life, and his resurrection, Father. We thank you that your word says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and there he is interceding. He's praying for us. He's praying for his church. And Father, there's no more powerful image than that. So Father, I just pray that we as a church, as individual followers of Christ, that we would feel the effects of those prayers Jesus is praying right now at the right hand of the Father for us. And we thank you, Father, that there is no greater weapon 
We thank you that the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty unto God. The prayers of Jesus are mighty unto God. The word of God is mighty unto God. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that it will pull down, it will dismantle, it will demolish every stronghold it encounters. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to again rejoice, to be bold, to be courageous, to speak the truth in love, to be committed for the long haul. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And God, you have a place and a purpose for each one of us in, in this journey. Father, we again just pray that we would uh, just use every available uh, gift, that we would use every fruit of the Spirit. Father, that we would use every advantage of the Holy Spirit living in us, again, to make a difference in this culture, to be light in darkness, to be truth in places of falsehood. And Father, again, we just thank you that no matter what happens, the war is won. The battles may be intense, but the war is won. And we thank you, Father, for that great reward that awaits us. And Father, we just again thank you for, uh, again, this just opening our eyes, helping us to see more of what's going on in our culture. And that that would evoke in us not a fear, but a faith that that would invoke in us, again, a commitment to doing all that we can do to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to any place and every place. And we just thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this church. Help us to take our place as a body, as a church, in this community, in this state, and in this world, and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.